this morning we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and in honor of God's Word, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Revelation chapter 3. So stand with me as I read God's words to the church in the first century as well as the church to the 21st century. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the Amen, uh, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed." And your eyes have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on the throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we pray as we look in your word this morning that we might not only hear your words, but understand them and put them into application in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated unless you prefer to stand through the message. All right. (laughs) This morning, I've uh, entitled the message, Get Well, and... um, I'm sure at various times in our lives we have been in those conditions where we, we feel that something's lacking in our, our lives physically and we're, uh, we're hurting more than we want to be and, and we desperately look for some kind of solution to our predicament. Uh, and, and sometimes when we're going through life, we compare ourselves with others. You ever do that? Compare yourself with others and how come that person never seems to get sick and I seem like I'm sick all the time? Well, I, You know, how come, um, you know, that person seems to live a lot longer than the people in my family? I was reading an article by uh, a conversation someone had with George Burns. Remember George Burns, the comedian, actor, and um, before they did a remake, he was the one who actually played God in a film. Remember that? And uh, I was wondering when that first came out, is this sacrilegious to actually see this comedy or this film? But uh, anyway, as he got to be 100, over 100, they asked him the question, what is the key to your success of longevity? And he responded back to that, and he, and he had some very simple words. He said, the key to longevity is to, to get rid of tension, stress, and worry in your life. Now, if that's the key to longevity, how many of you think you can actually accomplish that? <laughs> how do you get rid of stress? How do you get rid of worry? And, and Jesus got, has some issues related to worry, but usually the challenge is as you face the stressful times of life and the things that... Uh, bring you tension, uh, how can you respond to it? But it's hard to eliminate all stress and pressure in your life. And then if you're on my email blast, I, I shared an email blast from another comedian actor, Woody Allen, who I rarely find funny and I don't particularly like his acting. But he, he described life this way, and, and I wrote this this past week. He said, civilization now stands at the crossroads. Down one road is despondency and despair, and down the other is total annihilation. Let us pray that we choose the right road. 
That doesn't sound very funny to me, does it? Do you? I mean, oh, who cares? If one is despair and depression and despondency and then one's death, it uh, doesn't sound like either road I want to go down. Um, yeah, so what do you do? What do you do when you begin to recognize that it doesn't seem like everything's right and well and healthy? How am I supposed to get out of that? I can't necessarily de- eliminate stress in my life. I can't necessarily pick two paths that I don't want to go down either one of them. Um, what do I do? Another expression I've heard as it relates to getting well when things aren't well uh, were people who, who were on the other side of the ex- experience of life and they were in their grave, and they had instructed those who were part of his fam- their family of friendship circle to, to put things on their tombstones. And for those of you who've had opportunity to travel various places, particularly in, in Europe, often the, the, the guides will take you to cemeteries. Remember, have you had that experience? I mean, they're taking you to cemeteries. You're thinking, why do I want to see the cemeteries? But there's some, you know, people that are famous that have been buried there, and so they think that's significant. Well, on a couple of tombstones I've seen, one was this... Uh, what was this? I told you I was sick. <laughs> and then there was another tombstone where they said, uh, uh, I guess I should have listened to you, all right? Uh, and so as you think about that is, is we all can see on a physical level that things ought to get well because the alternative is not a very bright one. But if that's true physically, how much more true is it spiritually? Is that, you know, this life, no matter how long you live, whether it's up to the the century mark and a little bit beyond that or far before you get there it's this this life is like a vapor it's going to be shining and then it's going to be put out pretty quickly but eternity lasts forever and and god wants us to get well get well not only in terms of longevity and and god's plan is much better than any other person's plan he wants you to live forever for eternity with him and also he wants that life be filled with fullness and significance and so Jesus, in the last letter to the churches in Revelation, uh, speaks to the issue of getting well. Because if I were to describe this church, uh, one way to describe it in simple ways, this was a, a church that was spiritually sick, uh, to the point they were sick unto death. And so we look at this, and, and the good news about this, because it was like a pretty depressing message to look at, uh, let's look at a spiritually sick church, that the good news is they could get well. But the question is, well, how do you get well? And uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning in the time that we have. So if you have your outlines, this will kind of keep me on track and hopefully keep you on track as we try to uh, deal with a passage like just about every passage in God's Word. You could spend forever on a verse or a passage because there's so much you could, you could take off and, and comment on. But let's look at what, what um, the challenge is to the church who is spiritually sick and, and on a positive way. How can we get well? And I'm going to put it on a very simple analogy as it relates to how would you get well physically, but how would that relate to how to get well spiritually. And the first one, I guess, if, if you're sick, it's a good idea. This is really profound. You ought to go to a what? A doctor, right? Well, that's, that's pretty straightforward. But, you know, the, the male tendency is when we get sick, for some reason we think, well, I don't want to admit to that. So we have to be pushed and pulled to go to the what? The doctor. Well, if, if, you're, if you're sick physically, go to the doctor. And if you're sick spiritually, go to the doctor. And, and the Bible describes Jesus as the great, what? Physician. And you got that right. You know, we could have said great doctor. But he says the great physician in a number of different places. But just reading from Matthew chapter 9, really simply verse 12, we have Jesus self-describing himself as the doctor. And we could read the whole section. But he says this in verse 12 in Matthew 9. 
Um, we'll look at verse 11. In response to a question, he said, when the Pharisees saw this, they looked at Jesus and, and his disciples and want to criticize him. They said, why is your teach, teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Why is he rubbing shoulders with people like that? People who need kind of God's grace and not only God's grace, but what kind of grace? What we heard, just heard sung? Amazing grace. And why are they with those tax collectors and those sinners? And Jesus says this. It is not those, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician or a doctor, but those who are sick. And he wasn't talking about physical sickness here. He was talking about spiritual sickness here. He says, look, I came to help those who need help. In fact, let me just put it very plainly here. People think the Bible says things it doesn't say, and one of the things people think the Bible says is God helps those who help what? Themselves. No, God helps those who know they need help. Not those who can help themselves, but those who need help. And when I go to a doctor, I realize I can't get it fixed on my own. I need their help. So you need to go to uh, a doctor, but you need to go to the right doctor. Okay. And so whenever Jesus would write to the church, or churches in Revelation, he would say, let me give you my credentials before you listen to me. And sometimes when you go to a doctor, you might want to, if you go on the, now we have the internet, you can look up where they went to school or what, how they're rated by other people, and you can maybe get some additional insights. But Jesus said, okay, here's why you ought to listen to me. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, or the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. And so he gives credentials, and these are kind of in, in religious terms, but it, it gives us a reason why we ought to believe or respond to what this great physician tells us. It says he's the amen. Now, we've, we've talked about, if you've been with us uh, at Grace Hills Church, what, what the word amen or amen uh, literally in Hebrew and the Greek means. It means that this is the word that Jesus used in the New Testament that says true or truly. I'm the true one. And there's different words for the word true uh, in the Greek language. Uh, in, 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 but it not only means true uh, that way, but it also means, in, in more in the Old Testament, that it means so be it. But you can say, okay, what's so important about that? Well, to read a passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1.20, it says this, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So what this says that when we say God is the amen or the amen, after you finish a prayer, that means I believe what I just prayed about is true and can happen. Otherwise, why pray it? And the reason you believe that God would answer your prayers, that, what God, that God has given you promises that he would answer your prayers. Now, it is, it is according to his will and plan. And the reason that we believe that is because he's given us promises. Now, the unique thing about Jesus, whatever promise he's ever made, he has the power to do what? To keep it. Okay, not only does he have the power to keep it, he has the intention to keep it. Then Corinthians chapter 120, he says, he says, this is the amen, this is the amen to the promises of God, and his answer is yes. So God says yes to his promises. So when God says he can fix something, as a physician, you can believe that he can follow through and fix what is broken, what is broken spiritually. So that's why he ought to be trusted. And then he says, not only am I the amen or the amen, he says, I am the faithful and true witness. 
And part of that, as we emphasize, is a different word for true here, and that has the idea he's the genuine witness. But it also speaks he's the faithful one. And just focusing on that, and this is a familiar theme describing Jesus, he's faithful, is that when, when God, you know, forget God for a moment. I mean, not forget God, but for a moment, let's talk about people. When, when people make me a promise and they come through, I feel good about that. And when I make a promise, I feel good about it if I follow through. But the question is always, well, what about the next day that I make a promise? Well, I come through then. And then the, then the question, well, how about the day after tomorrow? Well, I, will that person be faithful to the promise he gave me that day? And as we think about Jesus, he's the faithful one that his promises are good for today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow. So he's the faithful physician. And then it said he is the beginning of creation. And in your small groups this week, you're going to study this on a, on a different level. But let me just say this. The, the word for beginning doesn't mean that he, he was the first one created. It means he's really the beginner of creation. And the idea there is when we think about going to a doctor, we want to go to a doctor that's pretty knowledgeable, right? You know, we hope they know what the different bones in your body and where the, what kind of organs in there and where they're supposed to be and how they're supposed to function. You know, and they, they go through long periods of training to be proficient and efficient and effective with understanding all the things that are in this earth suit that we wear as we go through life. Well, who better to know what's going on on us physically than the one who made us or created us, right? So God is the great creator, would know everything about us. And then particularly in the spiritual realm, the one who gives spiritual life, he's, he's the one who gives it and creates it and makes it. So he knows everything about us on the inside. So as we, very simply, and again, here's the very simple thing, that, that God speaking to the church in Laodicea, and the, the theme is get well, is that we need to go to the right doctor, and the right doctor has all the credentials to help us Whatever malady that we have going on in our lives spiritually, he is the great physician. He's truthful, he's reliable, and he is the maker of who we are, and so he knows how to fix us. Okay, so go to the right doctor. Secondly, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, speak about him being the creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, he's not the first one created. He is the one who creates all things. Now, you don't have to believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. The Word brought everything into existence, and there's nothing here that he didn't make. Number two, go to the right doctor. Get a good diagnosis. Now, again, on a human analogy, you can have a great doctor, but for whatever reason, if you cried wolf too many times and you come in to see him, you know, he, he might say, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's really anything wrong. Just get a good night's sleep, you know, take a, take a couple aspirins and, you know, call me back if things aren't working right. Well, we want doctors who not only are bright and well-trained, but we want them to be able to spend enough time so they, they give a good diagnosis of what's going on in us, in us physically. Well, well Jesus, Jesus gives a good diagnosis as a doctor about what was, what was wrong spiritually in them. And we see that beginning with verse 15. With a very simple phrase, I know your deeds. So Jesus has been watching us, and he's been watching everybody. He knows what's going on. He says, I know what's wrong spiritually because I've been observing you. 
And the key to almost any issue in life is good observation skills. If you can observe things well, you'll know what's going on. And Jesus observes their life. And then he, he begins to make some statements. And let me, he says, I want, I want to put it really simply what I see is wrong in you. And, and before I read the section that we've already read, whenever you go to a doctor, at least whatever always happens to me, they, they want to weigh me and they want to see how, if, I'm, if I've grown any inches. And if, if you notice, the older you get, you don't grow this way, you go the other way. The other way, you get smaller. How does that happen? You know, I'm, I used to be five ten and a half. Now I'm five nine. I mean, I, what happened to that inch and a half? Okay, is that they, they do that? But then they put wrap something around your arm. And they take your blood pressure. Okay, but they, and then what they do? They used to stick something in your mouth. Now they put something on your finger and they figure out your your temperature. And so what Jesus does here in terms of helping people get well spiritually, he says, "I'm going to take your temperature." Now here the analogy breaks down a little bit because he, what he does. He doesn't look at the middle temperature. If we're too hot, there's something wrong with us. And if, there's something, if we're too cold, there's something wrong with us. And we would look at that something in the middle, the you know, 98.6 or whatever your perfect temperature is. But Jesus looks at the two extremes and says, those are the good things, and the thing in the middle is not. So he takes a, a temperature of us spiritually, and he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. In Laodicea, and I have to be careful on time, in that particular locale, they had uh, two places that fed into them in terms of getting their water. One was Heropolis, which was a, a place where they had the hot springs. And, and we can see the value of hot springs. When, when you've got some aches and pains and you want to get loosened up, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll go to hot springs or you go to a sauna, and it just seems to relax you. Okay? And so they went there. In fact, many people, it was a, it was a, this particular city was not only a financial center, but it was also a place where... A lot of medical things were happening, and, and they would send people to Heropolis to get in the hot spring and just feel better. And then we also know sometimes if, we, if there are certain things that we really like to... Uh, and some of us, as far as... Uh, a majority of people, if I asked you, would you rather have something hot to drink or something cold to drink? You, you don't normally say, I want something lukewarm to drink, right? Now, some of you do, I know, like, yeah, I know some people that... My mom doesn't like ice in her water, okay? So she, she'll go to the, will you take the ice out of my water? You know, but anyway, most of us will like either hot things or cold things, right? And he said that, that lukewarm stuff is no good. And the only way they could get the water, they had to have some underground uh, aqueducts. And, and when it got to them, not only was it lukewarm, it wasn't either hot nor cold, it had picked up like some, some things in the, the, the many miles of the aqueduct. And it just, people would drink it, particularly if you weren't used to that town. You'd take a sip and you'd just spit it out of your mouth. Ooh, what is this? It just wasn't hot, it wasn't cold, and it was just kind of dirty water almost. And he says, I'd rather you were one or the other. And then he goes on, he says, let me give you some other word pictures. He says, and, and let me, uh, verse 16, he says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And again, they, they can relate to that because new people to that community, that's what they would do with the, with the drinking water. And we know there are certain places you can go, they tell you, don't drink the water. Okay, and that was somewhat in Laodicea. And, and then he goes on, and he says, well, let me explain to you a little bit further in terms of what's going on here. He's given a diagnosis. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know what you, that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, uh, you've got a problem here. And, and we talked about before that kind of the, the worst predicament it, it is on a physical level is be sick and not being willing to admit it, right? I got a problem. 
And, and I don't want to get it checked out because I might hear something I don't want to hear. Uh, and, and so he says, the, this is descriptive of what's going on you f- spiritually and physically. Now, in Laodicea, it was a, it was a, it was a community you might want to live in other than the water wasn't very good, right? It was a financial center, so basically in that community, they were all well off. And it somewhat describes America. America is well off. It doesn't matter where you are in comparison to somebody else, but we are a rich nation. When we read the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, it might be all of us in this room today, we, we don't have to pray that prayer, Lord, find me some bread because I can't find it, right? It's there. Now, there are times where we are financially in, in, in dire need and people come alongside and help us, but, but you know, because we're, we're well off enough, we don't desperately need what we don't see is going to be there tomorrow. Going down to Tijuana, we saw that, okay? And if you've gone to other places, and so they physically were rich, and so sometimes when people are physically rich, they don't see their spiritual poverty. And, you know, a, a pretty famous man once said, blessed are those who are what in spirit? Poor in spirit. Jesus said that, didn't he? And he said, you don't get it. You think you're rich. And you are rich physically, but you are so poor spiritually. And he, and he said, and you have need of nothing, and, and you do not know that you are wretched. Just <laughs> take a sidebar here. You know, it's, amazing, it's interesting to me about people, in terms of amazing grace, which has some great words to it, but, but it talks about that if, if, you, if you listen to the words you say, it, says, it describes yourself as being wretched, doesn't it? Yeah, it uses that phrase, doesn't it? And I sometimes wonder about... about um, those in the uh, commercial pop world that sing Amazing Grace, and I'm thinking, are you listening to what you just sang? You described yourself, self-described yourself in that song, and you're listening to the words that you are a wretched person. Okay? And you need that grace, which is amazing. And, and, and see, this is what they were struggling with. Uh, we're, we're okay. And he said, actually, you... You don't even have any clothes on. You're naked, and, and you have the best garments in the land. So let me let me. We don't have time, but let me let me just hit some things. What was there? There's basically only t- three t- temperatures that he said you can have. You can you can be hot, you can be lukewarm, and you can be cold. The hot part is probably the easiest one to interpret. It probably means those people who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Not perfect. None of us are perfect. But say to the best of my heart desires and uh, energies i'm using my talents and gifts for god my resources and i want to do everything that god wants me to be and to do and i'm struggling but i am going in the right direction and god you have me you i I just want to live for you i want to put you first in my life you know you i have responsibilities and i have to do things but but in everything i do i just want you to be a part of it I, i just want to live for you and then you have the cold. Now, the cold probably is the, the other extreme. These are people who are, who are so far from God. And then they're almost angry at God. They, they just, 
they're resistant to any kind of conversation about God. They're just, they are, they are, they are total rejects of God. But then what about the lukewarm? Well, somewhere they're in between, aren't they? And these are the people probably have come to the point where they're not angry at God, but they're just kind of indifferent. They're apathetic, you know, to God. I remember reading about one uh, school teacher, and he was so desperately trying to get his students to be interested in the subject, okay? And I've been in various roles of teaching, and, you know, there, there are times you're with people and you go, they have no interest in what I'm saying, you know, and you're trying to be like Jesus, raise the dead, all right? You're just trying to get them somehow willing to listen to what you're having to say. And, and so he put up a word to try to get them to understand their position. He put the, the letters A-P-A-T-H-Y. And his students kind of looked up, and they were trying to even pronounce what the word was. Apathy, you know, and then apathy, or a, a, and then finally one sort of, I don't know, and I don't care what that word says or means, all right? Well, that's how some people are toward God. Okay, and, and that's the most, let me just put, that's the most dangerous place to be. Have just enough about Jesus that you know and not giving yourself to him. The cold people at least know what they're rejecting. The indifferent people have no idea where they're at. So it's so dangerous. And we're not reading the passage there, but what is really deadly in the source of anyone either far from God or just indifferent toward God is pride. And the middle letter for the word pride is the letter what? I. I, I, I don't really need that. Or I don't want it. It's an I issue. So he gives him a pretty straightforward diagnosis. I, I feel like throwing you up because I look at your life. So whatever, it, that whatever some people say it's a carnal Christian, some people say it's a non-Christian, a person who's been around the spiritual things but has not turned their life over. It, either way you look at that, this is a dangerous place to be in. So go to the right doctor, get a good diagnosis. Thirdly, listen to what the doctor says. In, in, in Revelation 3.18, he says this, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and eye salve to anoint your, your, your eyes so that you may see. So, so for a person to really listen to what the doctor says, they, they have to, again, reemphasize in their own life, I need help. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us to become like one who is unclean, and our, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And in the life of the church of Laodicea, he said, Look at uh, I don't need clothing for you. I've got the best clothing in the world. But he says, You don't understand. Your garments are really filthy, and they need to be cleansed by the only one who can cleanse them, which is Jesus. You think you can see, but you're actually blind. In the church, in the community of Laodicea, they had a, what they called the Phrygian powder, which they would put on people's eyes that were blurred, and it would, it would work in such a way that they would have restored sight, or they would see much clearly. And he said, you, you think you can see because you can see physically, but you cannot see spiritually. You need to see, you need help. Listen to what I have to say. And then, not only that, you need to know that Jesus is the only way to get help. He is the only answer to that. Isaiah 55, 1 
And even as he says, I advise you to buy from me gold. And they're thinking, I don't need gold. I got all the gold I got that I can even spend. He said, no, you need gold that, that, you, that you do not have. In Isaiah 55, 1, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Which is the balance of this is when Jesus tells us to buy from him, he realizes that we don't have any money to buy, but he, he wants us to make that choice to say, I, I want to get from you what I do not have for myself. I can only give you not my resources, but my life. Come buy from me, even though you have nothing to spend but yourself. So we need to listen to what the doctor says. And if we had time, I'd, I'd retell you, the, remember the, the Hans Christian Andersen story of the emperor has no clothes? Or actually, it stated the emperor with new clothes, but the reality, he didn't have new clothes. He had no clothes because they swindled him, and they made the clothes that, that only those who were righteous and were, had the ability to, to do the job, they were, up, they were, they were, they were a, a, a capable people, could see the clothes. And so he goes out, and he... He goes out in public with absolutely nothing on. And the only one who saw it was a little child that says, he's naked, you know. And all of a sudden, everybody else who are too prideful to, to admit what was so obvious, I don't think he has anything on. And this is what was happening to them. So finally, after we go to the right doctor, look for a good diagnosis, an accurate diagnosis, and as we listen up that, hey, there is a need here that we need to do something. We need to take the medicine. And this is what Revelation 3.20 is about. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. And so what Jesus is doing, and no matter how you look at this, this is, this is, a, this is a powerful picture. Here we have the doctor pursuing the one who is sick. And in most places, it's the doctor who is waiting for the people who are sick to come to them. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't usually get called up. I think there's something wrong with you. You better come in. Now, if I've been in before and they saw some tests and things like that, but if I haven't been in there, they're not, they're not calling me to come in. Jesus is calling them to come in. Can you imagine that? Jesus knocking at the door of the church. You're sick, spiritually sick, but you don't see it. Or the door of a person's life that's been around spiritual things, say, look at you are on a death march here. You're like the emperor with no clothes on. You're, you're like the person who has riches, but there's no place to spend your money. You're the person who, who thinks they can see, but they cannot see. The only way it's going to happen is if you've got to open the door of your life and have me come in. So what's the challenge? The challenge very simply is to understand this. What is it we need to do to take the medicine? Number one, we need to repent and we need to receive. Now, repent is a very religious word. It's used in a variety of contexts. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, in an ultimate way, it says this. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That takes the word repent and simply says this. You you go one direction, and now you're going to turn and go the other direction. That's what it means to repent. I thought I had good clothes on. Uh, my clothes are filthy. Uh, I thought I could see. No, I can't see. Uh, I thought everything, I had everything I need. No, I don't have everything I need. And so you've got to turn from, from what you're doing to, to go after God. And then the good news is 
on our end, what all we have to do is receive what he offers. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Or to put in the words of the church at later, say, I'm knocking at the door. That you'll just hear me. And then after you hear me, if you open the door, I will come in. And I'll come in in such a way that we'll have a relationship. We'll dine together. We'll, and that's just, again, an image, a physical image to say, I'll have, we'll have an ongoing relationship. So what's the point? What's the so what? The so what is, okay, is Jesus knocking at your door? And if he's knocking, is it a knock and saying, look, I'm so excited at how you're, you're, you're following after me because you're hot. I was just thinking as I said that, you know, we, we describe that of people who really look good. Man, you're hot, you know. And, and, and that's how God, look, at you're hot and I know it and you're, you're doing your best for me. Or is he knocking the door and he's saying, look, you are so cold. And, and, and that can be a good place because you know that you don't know me. But it could be you're also lukewarm. And that's almost saying, look, at, you don't know me, but you think you know me. And you need now to realize you're sick. And the good news, you can get well. But you need to come after me. Wherever we are at, and wherever you are at, this is, this is the good news, that Jesus is knocking. And all we have to do is listen and then respond. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, we just pray that we might be a people and we might be individuals that, that hear your voice, hear your knocking, and open up to what you want to do in our lives. And, and wh- however we look at the analogy, whether it's, whether it's coldness or lukewarmness or on fire for you, we, we know that, that you sp- still speak into our lives your truth. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, might they be like Felipe that heard the good news and said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me my sins. Make me a new person on the inside. And they become a child of you. If that be true for someone here today, might they make that step? And if there's any of us, there are any areas in our life that aren't completely and fully turned over you, might we say, Jesus, you have an open invitation to take control. I know it's not going to be easy and there's going to be some ups and downs, but Jesus, I want to be on fire for you. I just want to be available for you. Make a difference in my life. Father, we thank you that you are the the amen to our prayers, that you are a yes to the promises of God, and that you will answer these prayers according to your will. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we sing this morning.